Welcome to T21 Mom. Hi friends, it's Mary and welcome to the T21 Mom podcast. On today's episode, I am talking to another rockin' mom, Stephanie, mom to Odin, who obviously has Down syndrome, but he also has what we call apraxia, or actually childhood apraxia of speech. But throughout our conversation, we just say apraxia for short to make it easier. And what I've learned is this is actually a really kind of misunderstood and in a lot of cases, little known condition. And Stephanie talks a lot about how she really had to fight uh, for services for her son, Odin. And, you know, that even a lot of their therapists weren't even aware of what apraxia is, let alone how to, you know, teach somebody or to work with somebody who has this condition. But Stephanie has a ton of information and I'm sure you'll really get a lot out of this episode. And, you know, and also she gives tips on what to look for in, you know, in case you might be experiencing something similar in your child. So let's go have a listen. Today on the T21 Mom podcast, I'm talking with Stephanie Schnitzlein, and I hope I got that correct. <laughs> and we are going to be talking about sp- speech apraxia in our kids. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, no, you're very welcome. I'm excited to have you on today. And for those who don't know, Stephanie, she's pretty active, kind of a little bit behind the scenes, I think, in our Down syndrome community. She is responsible for the book Redefining Us, which is a compilation of stories for moms of kids with Down syndrome. And she's also responsible for these fantastic pictures, which we call the characteristics of Down syndrome. I'm sure many of you have seen them and they highlight all the wonderful things and abilities and traits of our kids. And she has done that and she said it totally took off. And how many did you end up doing? Um, last time I counted, I was over a thousand. They, they started last spring. I mm-hmm. created one. There, so I have to be honest, I didn't create the original one. Um, mm-hmm. There was a, an organization that created the original one, mm-hmm. and their name is completely, I'm blanking on that. Pier- I think you said it was the, the Pearson. Pearson Center. Thank yeah. you. The, mm-hmm. Yeah, the Pearson Center. And so I remember I saw that image, and I thought, I want my son in that image. I mm-hmm. want to see my kid. And so I made my own, and it took off. And I remember one of the, I, I was watching, I, I had everyone tag me so I could see people's reactions mm-hmm. and hear what people were saying. And one of my favorite comments and reactions was just a, a random person I don't even know who they were that said yeah but you could put any kid in that and and that would be the same and I was like that's exactly the point the the characteristics of down syndrome that you see from medical journals or websites mm-hmm. showed all these horrible awful things mm-hmm. like hey pay attention to this and that and they're demeaning and they're not always accurate and it was really scary for moms to be looking online to try to get some information and see those horrible pictures mm-hmm. and so my goal kind of created a hashtag redefine what you see online because I wanted moms to see and future parents to see our kids are just like other kids we're just we're just like everyone else and yes you can put any child in that and it would be the same Mm -hmm. and it it took off oh that is so fantastic and before we started Stephanie said she is totally fine if our listeners want to get their own and we'll we'll put 
a link in the show notes so that you can contact Stephanie and get your very own. And, and I'm sure you've all seen it before. And, and then you also did, uh, I have it as my profile picture. I can't even remember what it's called. The third, third, what's it called? The third is third, the charm. Third one's the charm. Yes. Third and I quite like that. So she's, you know, she's not even a designer by trade. She just loves to do this. And, and it's really awesome for our community, especially, you know, when things go viral like that, it's just so wonderful. So Thank you so much for doing that. I think it's amazing. Absolutely. So we're going to be talking about apraxia of speech in our kids. And I think many of us have heard of it. But can you explain what it is and how old was Odin when he was diagnosed? Yeah. Um, so apraxia gets a little bit confusing. And it was really confusing for me because if you look it up online, there's a bunch of different ways it's described or like the terms for it. So there's mm -hmm. apraxia in general, specifically for young kids. It's usually diagnosed as a CAS, childhood apraxia of speech. Okay. And that means it's onset at childhood. It's not, it's not like you develop something later on in life. So it's specific to young children. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> Odin actually has not had an official formal diagnosis of apraxia. I've been asking about it since he's been about two. Oh. And all of his speech therapists have all been in agreement that he cannot be formally assessed and given a diagnosis because he doesn't have words. And so in order to get this diagnosis, you have to have some words. And Odin doesn't. He used to have a couple, but they kind of slipped away. Mm -hmm. um, and so they can't formally assess him to give him the diagnosis. So we are working under a suspected diagnosis of apraxia because everyone agrees that is probably what he has. Mm. I'm kind of leading that charge because I'm like, no, this is very clearly what is going on with them. But they can't formally assess him until he develops some more words in his vernacular. Wow, that's very interesting. I did not know that. And yeah. I kept seeing the C-A-S and I didn't know what that stood for. So that's very interesting. Uh, wow, like it almost seems a bit ridiculous that, that he asked. Yeah, that he asked a, a proxy a, of speech often is because ch children can't speak like they don't have right. verbal language and yet they can't assess them with it yeah because he doesn't have words okay but i'm glad that you're moving in that direction that you know just treating him like he does have that because you know i think that's the best for him you know because obviously yeah. you've and done it, your research and it makes a difference in the type of therapy he receives and the supports he receives so that's why I've been pushing so hard to have mm -hmm. that be part of his, you know, chart, I guess. Yes. Part of his therapies. I, I know we're all, we all do a gazillion therapies, right? <laughs> yeah. So how does speech apraxia specifically affect those with Down syndrome? Like, I guess that's part of the issue is our kids are often late speakers. So that's right. been part of the challenge with Odin. Yeah. So are you able to comment on that a little bit? Yeah. So... My understanding with, with kids with Down syndrome is there is across the board a delay in speech development. And so one of the things that I've learned about is differentiating and kind of separating and connecting language versus speech. And so when you think about language development, you know, a parent talking to the child and explaining things and showing things and, you know, engaging in the babbling and sentence structure and, and all the pieces of language. That's one layer and that happens first. And that is teaching the child about the world, you know, in whatever language mm -hmm. that family speaks. 
Mm-hmm. The second layer is speech. And even though they're, you know, they feel one and the same, they're very different because they, the individual has to have the thought about said thing. They have to know the word. And then here's the kicker is their brain has to send the signals to the mouth to shape jaws, lips, tongue, throat, and then produce sound simultaneously to make these words of the language that they know. And so that like they are, they're, they're connected, but they're also very separate things. And so apraxia specifically affects the cognitive signals to mouth, jaw, tongue, lips, throat. And so they will have a delayed onset of words specifically in that they're not pronouncing things. So how this shows up in Odin specifically is he has almost no consonant. When he talks, he uses vowel sounds only. So we say, Odin, say mommy. He goes, ah, e. He doesn't close his lips. He doesn't move his tongue. He's not moving his jaw. He's just making the sounds, the the open mouth vowel sounds. He's convinced Mm -hmm. he's saying it correct. Um, So there's just, there's some disconnect with his brain telling his his mouth what to do. And that is connected to apraxia. That is so interesting. I mean, I knew and understood about the connection from like the brain to the muscles. I I get that. But that is so interesting about how he doesn't say consonants. So, right. So that's what we're working on is really, really emphasizing that support. The part that makes it really tricky for kids with Down syndrome is Mm -hmm. uh, the majority. I don't I won't say all. There was a specialist in an SLP who had a website. She's since deceased. Um, she had on her website that all children with Down syndrome have another diagnosis called dysarthria. And I'm mm-hmm. not going to go to the all because I don't agree and everyone has something because that's not factual. But she was very strong component in saying that dysarthria is very common in children with Down syndrome. And that is the low tone. And mm-hmm. so if, if a child has low muscle tone, so that is the low tone in the jaw. And that's why a lot of our kids will have slurred speech mm-hmm. or awkward speech or really difficult to understand speech because their mouths are not moving. They're, you know, it's not strong. There's not strength there in the jaw to move or tongue to move as accurately as someone might do. So with kids with Down syndrome who also have apraxia, they Mm. have kind of a double layer of challenge to Mm -hmm. develop speech, work on. So they have both of those areas attacking and, and kind of fighting against them. I know. And it's not something that I think majority of people would even think about because speech just tends to come naturally. Right. I, I know when you're thrown into the world of Down syndrome, like we've all been, is like that's the one thing that, you, you know, we know about that it's going to be delayed and that we have to work so hard. I mean, people have no idea outside of our community how hard our kids work to to talk, like especially like in Odin's case, like he's got another layer of complexity. and. You know, and and I think that's why we all celebrate so big for our kids, because we know how hard they work compared to typical kids to get, you know, like in Odin's case, to say some words. Like, I'm sure when he says, mommy, you know, that'll be big, big, big in your household. Right? So. Yeah. So he has, he has, um, he. No, oh, it's coming. Yeah. So we've got an M. But it's only at the end of a sound. So he can't mm-hmm. start with an M. He can't go, uh, he can go, um, so we've got, um, e. and yeah. I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. Cause yeah. I know, I know what it means and he mm-hmm. knows what it is and it's, 
accurate. So, oh, that's that's awesome. Yes, it's, that's it's very speech is very exciting in our kids, and 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 I know it's a it's a big challenge for a lot of us. I mean, I'm dealing with it with my daughter too. So, so you started obviously seeing signs in Odin quite young. You said around two. Like, is there typically an age that our kids get diagnosed with yeah, apraxia so of speech? For kids with Down syndrome, that I don't know. The typical population, it's usually between ages two and four because okay. that's when you see a, a delay in speech mm-hmm. development. Um, one of the biggest factors that really stood out to me was a significant difference in language, uh, receptive language versus expressive language. So Odin understands a lot. We can give him directions. We can give him feedback. We can tell him things and show him things. And it's very clear he understands, you know, mm-hmm. Odin, go get your shoes. He will go grab his shoes and come back with them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he gets it, but there were no words coming. And so there was a huge discrepancy in him specifically. His receptive language was just growing and growing and growing and expressive was stagnating. He had, like I said, he had a couple words and they disappeared. In addition, we had introduced ASL sign language, American sign language for him really early on. I luckily just happened to take it in college. And so I had a background in it. So I was introducing more words to him and he was thriving. He was just a little sponge and, you know, taking all these words and holding on to them and learning to communicate, you know, with vocabulary, but wasn't verbalizing them. So, you know, it wasn't a cognitive piece that was the delay. There was something else. And that was standing out to me. Mm-hmm. And when we started speech therapy, we weren't allowed to start until I was 18 months. It, we were in California at the time. And that was just when they allowed speech therapy to start. We noticed, you know, that the things they were trying weren't doing anything. You know, mm-hmm. oh, you know, make cute noises while you're playing games and go wee and, and go yay and go ooh and he wasn't doing any of those things with us. And, you know, they were saying, look at each other in the mirror and practice, oh, and kissy faces and, and have him mimic. And he wasn't doing that. Um, and it wasn't that he didn't, wasn't watching. It wasn't that he was like disconnected. Um, but there wasn't, there wasn't any progress or movement with it. Um, one of the things I did notice that was working in a weird way was if you put a hand shape with a sound, that was when he would try and mimic. So one oh. of his speech therapists was trying to get him to do the E-I-E-I-O for mm-hmm. Old McDonald's. And so she'd go E-I-E-I. And then she would draw a circle around her mouth and say, oh, to get him to, to copy it. And so he started going, oh. And so something about the hand shape and a hand signal, like cueing him what to do mm-hmm. was really helpful. And so all these, I was kind of tucking away in my mind as we're moving forward and trying to figure out what to do to help him and seeing like, okay, what is that? Why is that helping? Why is that not working? And, and so that kind of memory really stuck out to me. Like he, he held on to that. And mm-hmm. for three months afterwards, if we tried to sing E-I-E-I-O, he would just do the, the <laughs> shape around his mouth. So just little things like that really stood out. Wow. So is it more common in our kids as compared to the typical population? Do you know? I do know. So I, I, you might have asked, I was doing posts at the beginning of May, I believe mm-hmm. May was Apraxia Awareness Month. And I think you had asked that question and I was like, oh, I don't know. Let me look that up. <laughs> so generally speaking in the, po- in the general population, 
only one or two out of a thousand kids will have this diagnosis. So it's pretty rare. Mm -hmm. But there was an article that I found, a, a medical journal article that said that they were specifically looking for how frequently this diagnosis was popping up with kids with Down syndrome. And they were saying it was anywhere between seven, 17 and 40% of the population. So it might be an enormous wow. number, um, but it's, it's only very recently started to be studied. The earliest that I could find that they even acknowledged that apraxia, uh, childhood apraxia of speech existed in children with Down syndrome was 2006. Oh my gosh. Before that, they were like, no, that's not a thing. They can't have it. Like there was that, that specialist that I mentioned before who's since deceased, she had a huge article refuting that, that it was not possible for children with Down syndrome to have it. Wow. Um, so that was kind of mind blowing, but yeah, the earliest that there's that I found was 2006, where they said yes, there is a connection, and and these children can have it. So it's a very recent in in our history that that's even been an option to look into for our kids. That's crazy because yeah, you may be aware they even thought that a child with Down syndrome could not have autism, which they couldn't have another diagnosis. Yes which is just right. blows my mind. I am not a medical person by any stretch of the imagination. And I could say that, yes, that is possible. Like, why couldn't it be possible? Right, right. You know, I remember talking to one fellow, I mean, it's a little off topic when I was looking for a consultant for Ainsley. And he's, I asked, do you have experience with Down syndrome autism? He goes, oh, I have one child who has eight diagnoses. So yes, you can have more than one diagnosis, yeah, right? Absolutely. Which is so crazy. So now, the numbers that you mentioned, 17 to 40 percent, I have seen that as very similar to what could be suspected that kids with Down syndrome have have autism. I, I mean, usually I veer around 18 percent, but I have seen studies that are saying like up to, you know, 40 or close to 50. I don't think it's that high. I guess it depends where you're looking. But like, is there any kind of correlation between apraxia and autism? Because I think you also mentioned a lot of the signs of apraxia uh -huh. could overlap with autism. Yeah. So I can't speak to everyone's experience, but mm -hmm. for our personal experience, starting about age two, I started asking our, our team, our specialists that were working with Odin, if they had concerns about autism for Odin because of some of the things I was seeing in his lack of speech development. Across the board, his early intervention team was, no, absolutely not. He's social. He's engaged. He makes great eye contact. He's not semi. He's all these, like, just mm -hmm. across the board, hard no. But I was always like, okay, well, what about these things? You know, they're, like, he's not social with other peers. Um, he's a little scared of them. He mm -hmm. doesn't really understand that dynamic. That stood out to me. He had some words, and they went away. That mm -hmm. stood out to me. He does do some stimming. Um, he likes things that spin and he will watch things that spin, but he doesn't have a, a, um, a lot of the other things that you need to have on the checklist to qualify for a di diagnosis of autism. So I was always wondering, I was told no. We relocated to Texas to go to a, a special school that does inclusion. So it's 50% 50, 50 kids with special needs, 50% kids typical developing, and they all get to do everything together. And so that first year at the school, he was now three, turning four, that team said that they had some concerns. He was kind of separating and isolating himself. He wasn't trying to talk. 
you know, so there was a really much bigger obvious delay now with his speech in comparison with his peers, even with his peers with Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. He has several kids in his, in his class that have Down syndrome. And they're like, well, Odin does things a little differently. So all last year, I ran the gamut. I talked to all these different doctors and met with different specialists. And we had him officially valu- evaluated to see if he did have a dual diagnosis of autism and, and Down syndrome. And he, it was found that he did not. Um, he did not qualify for mm-hmm. a diagnosis of, of autism. Um, what I found is that with the diagnosis of apraxia, the overlap exists in, again, significantly delayed expressive speech mm-hmm. um, piece, but also the social piece. Mm-hmm. So that was where people were getting confused because Odin didn't understand how to get his point across. Mm. Odin didn't know how to ask for help. Odin didn't know how to tell kids no. Odin didn't know how to say my turn. Um, he wasn't able to communicate those things and so it was easier for him to just go off to a corner and play by himself than try yeah it was scary to him it was intimidating to him and and that was written off not written off but that was like put into the mindset of like that might be autism Mm -hmm. and I get it because I was thinking the same thing I was wondering so because of that kind of interesting overlap with the loss of some words and and the reason behind that I found out is he hasn't actually lost them. But if you ask a child with apraxia to s- repeat something back, they're trying to retrieve it in their brain mm-hmm. to then spit it out. And they often can't. Mm-hmm. If they're just doing it on their own and they're talking, it's probably easier for them to to do it. So Odin still has those words. It, they're not lost, but he doesn't say them on command. Right. That that's the That's the other piece that kind of overlaps and kind of looks like it. That being said, children that have apraxia can also have autism. And the reason why I know that is because the first time I heard, I've heard of apraxia, there's a mom that is, has a really big Facebook um, and I think Instagram following, Finding Cooper's Voice. Kate, okay. I don't remember her last name, but she has a 11-year-old son with autism, um, mm-hmm. like pretty severe autism. And she was explaining what apraxia was. And so I was watching them, and this was before Odin was born. So oh, I was wow. watching this family and hearing about their story. And then when Odin was born, and then I was like, wait, wait, I see similarities. And so it just so happened that I came across this family who had something that I, you know, really strongly believe is what's going on with Odin. Wow. I think, I mean, kudos to you because, you know, it's it's hard because you're obviously you've obviously been pushing and yeah you like how is it actually diagnosed because you said you need words and yeah. he's getting therapies based on the, the fact that he probably has it but they can't officially diagnose him so is it an SLP a speech language pathologist or who who actually would diagnose apraxia speech in our kids yeah it would definitely be an SLP Mm-hmm. Uh, the biggest challenge is, and this is something that I've learned in all of my fights and my pushing, is that not all SLPs are created mm-hmm. equal, nor mm-hmm. are they all trained to work with apraxia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so two of the ones that are my early intervention team, they'd never even heard of it. They didn't know what that was. I'm like, how do you, what? Yeah. They we're just working on like, let's introduce language and it will come. And I'm like, this isn't working. So we switched people and I was pushing back specifically with my OT, she was on on board with this potential diagnosis. This is when Odin was like a year and a half to 
and we were working on oral motor skills. Mm -hmm. And so then I looked into that and realized we need to engage his mouth. We need to engage his tongue. We need to engage his lips. We need to engage his jaw and his cheeks and get him to recognize those things exist and he is in charge of them and can move them. So the SLP would assess those motor movements. Mm -hmm. They also assess, they look specifically for what they call some, it's called groping. Um, and that means that their the mouth is moving and they're you can see them trying to find the word. They're trying to locate it and they're they're not doing it correctly. Mm -hmm. So often they will pronounce a word incorrectly or they might say it right and then they'll say it wrong. Mm -hmm. And so that okay. fits that category and that's something that they look for, which is why you need to have words in order mm -hmm. to have that diagnosis because you need to show that that's happening. I feel like Odin has that anyway because we try to get him to say words and he'll kind of like stutter with his mouth mm -hmm. not with no sound that to me looks like groping and i i videoed it and shared it with the slps and i'm like does that fit that and they're like yeah that 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 looks like it and we'll keep an eye out for that so those are those are kind of the big things that they look for very interesting now you mentioned about like you know kind of doing i guess like oral exercises almost uh because i recently had a, a woman on named darcy day who whose son communicates through spelling uh, he has Down syndrome and it turns out he has severe apraxia and that apraxia, I mean, we, we're calling it apraxia speech and during this course of this conversation, apraxia, to shorten it, but that it can affect like so many parts of your body. And yes. yeah, and she learned that he is severely, I mean, he has autism as well, but he is quite severely apraxic, like in all, in I guess throughout his body. Like she said, even like motor planning to try to get a cup of water is so challenging, or getting out of the car. But then, yeah. you know, she learned he had this amazing voice through spelling, which I thought was so amazing. But she talked about purposeful movement, which I thought was so interesting. Which sort of sounds like what you can do with the mouth. Like she talked a lot about like like getting an exercise coach. I think more for her son because his is more, it's not just speech, it's so much more. But I guess it's kind of the same, like you said, like to get those muscles moving in the mouth. Yes. To wake them up, to let them know, yeah. let Oda know that it's there. So, yeah. yeah. So like, do you, do you, like, do you use, I guess, talk tools and things like that for the mouth or like what kind of things do you guys use? Yeah. So there's the talk tools. There's a bunch of methodologies and I'm not sure which is the correct one. And I think it's probably a good thing that there are so many different, so you can mm -hmm. try different things. Um, to, to go back to that point, it was just within the last year that I learned that apraxia can affect other parts of the body. Mm -hmm. So one of the other pieces that we were challenged with Odin was he actually started walking fairly early considering the, the likely delay with, with low muscle tone. Mm -hmm. He started walking at 18 months. And wow. so, yeah, we were blown away and super excited and super proud. And at about age three, I would say his motor development stagnated, it plateaued. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't figure out why he wasn't running. He wasn't jumping. He was trying really hard and couldn't figure it out. And so the, the physical therapist we were working with were like, yeah, it's his low tone. It's his low tone. There was another mom that posted a video of her daughter and said, you know, due to her apraxia, her motor muscle movements are, our gross motor are, are affected. And it was like a light bulb went off. Like, wow. of course everything's affected. Why wouldn't it be? And so, yeah, he really struggles with 
some the complicated movements. Mm-hmm. So they're multi-level. He, you know, he has to really, you, you see the, the hesitation and the thought before he, you know, takes the next step or climbs the stair or tries to jump. There's so much planning into it. It does not happen naturally for him. Mm-hmm. And so you can see how much it's impacted. You know, he's been working on jumping for three years now and we've gotten, he's good on the trampoline. He can get both feet off simultaneously. It's hit or miss on the ground. But yeah, so it does, it does impact. The other thing that I learned is that in order to make that neural pathway for the brain to like really learn the word and learn the way your mouth is supposed to shape to make that word, mm-hmm. they might have to practice it a thousand times before mm-hmm. they get it correctly. And mm-hmm. so I think that ties into motor body movements, right? Like you might have to jump a thousand times before your body remembers bend your knees, squat down, you push up, all those things happening. And so, yeah, our kids work so, so hard to try and learn these things that, you know, we all take for granted because they they Mm -hmm. come so easily. But yeah, a a lot of it is PT, OT, getting these exercises that they can practice and drill again and again. Again and again. I mean, you kind of just answered the question, like, what are some strategies that parents can try or use, especially if they're waiting to get assessed? Like kind of maybe they're in that limbo, kind of like you are, because, yeah, the, you know, it may be quite a while before there's any words. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the really nice thing in this day and age is there is information online. There are other families to connect to and, and get ideas. The, the big one that I jumped on was sign language. Mm-hmm. that was what I felt comfortable with and he took to it I've met other families that they say their kids don't like tr- trying to sign they don't want to that can also be challenging too with motor development mm-hmm. uh, motor planning to know you know Odin doesn't make his signs correctly all the time mm-hmm. and so that can be hard for people to know what he's saying but he appreciates ASL and, and understands it enough that I you know we we kind of run with it another thing is developing other ways of communicating so within the last year, maybe a year and a half, we realized that we could offer Odin choices by giving him like labeling two or three fingers. Mm-hmm. You know, do you want the red cup or do you want the blue cup? And so he could pick mm-hmm. and he would make choices. And that was a really great way to open up that communication with him, give him a voice in, mm-hmm. in a different way. Another really great way to utilize communication, but it's, it's a hurdle to get through and jump through and keep working on is an AAC device. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes insurance covers it. Sometimes the school district will pay for it. Um, sometimes parents like myself will just say, yeah, it, this is too many hoops to jump through and I'll, they'll just buy it themselves. That's what we ended up doing because it was taking mm-hmm. too long to get in this device. Mm-hmm. So we have access to sign language. We're doing oral motor stuff. So help, helping him work on moving his mouth. And he has a, a AAC device that he uses primarily at school to communicate with his teachers and, and classmates mm-hmm. have interactions and dialogue and participate, you know, in circle time and things like that. Fantastic. Now you kind of mentioned earlier that, you know, a typical speech session is probably going to be different if your child has apraxia. Like how, how is it different? Like, are they, I guess, focusing more on like working the mouth and those muscles or, or do you know how it's different? Because this might yeah. be all you know. So I, I don't know if our, if I had our SLP on this interview as well, they might have different um, feelings. Okay. But I've pushed back this last year because 
there's an order in which SLPs help develop language. And so naturally, like a typical baby would develop M, B, and P sounds first. Mm-hmm. Odin really struggles with all of those because all of them require his lips to touch. And so he's uh, the M he's figured out, but B and P are almost impossible. Mm-hmm. However, he's learned other sounds like K and sh and L and R. And so I was pushing back with the therapist because they had this goal for this entire year. Odin will make M, B, and P sounds, you know, three out of five times, you know, the yeah. goal. And so I started saying, can we work on other sounds? I, I, I feel like we're beating a dead horse. He's not getting anywhere. He is capable of making these other sounds. Can we give him some success in that way? And the therapist was like, oh, I don't know. I think this is kind of bizarre to do it this way. But she, she consented. She, she okay. relented and said, yeah, let's, let's try these other sounds. So I know she's still working on those sounds, but she's not only working on them. And so in all honesty, you have to find a team that's willing to try different things and think outside of the box because it's not a straightforward, here's the language, let us give it to you and you'll just regurgitate it back. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, activities with getting him to do the O shape to blow bubbles. You know, he goes mm-hmm. and he blows. So it's, there's just lots and lots of little tips and tricks that they have to figure out and be willing to try and not just say, let's just do it this way because this is the way I know it should, it should happen. Because it's not always going to happen that way. It has not. Odin has not <laughs> gone on that trajectory. He yeah. has defied all of the expectations. The, the, the three sounds that he knows how to make, S, R, and L, I've been told by SLPs that those are the last and hardest sounds for kids to make. And he knows he can make those first. So very interesting. So it's just, there's no rhyme or reason. <laughs> yeah, but I'm glad to hear that your therapist was a, you know, okay with adjusting because I think, yeah, let's have Odin or other children have success because success breeds success. You know, I'm sure all he would do is we get frustrated if he's trying to learn the D, P, and whatever the other, what was the other sound? D, P, and M. B, P, and M. Right. Uh, You know, let's have them have some success. And yeah, gosh, that's so frustrating right like because you know that should be one area that we shouldn't really be having to battle right we already have our kids in speech therapy we shouldn't be battling on how it's you know the best way to to treat our kids it should be obvious yeah yeah but you're right some don't know about apraxia and that's a real challenge like i feel really fortunate because we have the dsrf the down center resource foundation is like five minutes from me and the therapist is just there. They they get our kids. They know our kids. They're they know what to expect. They know what to look for. And a lot of places don't have that. Like you can go to a speech therapist, but like you said, may not have ever even heard of a proxy of speech, which I find a little bit crazy if they're an SLP. But right, I was blown away. <laughs> yeah, you know, like how is it that we know? Well, I guess because it's in our community, but you would think an SLP should know that. You'd think it would, I mean, it might be one day of training. I don't know because it's so rare, but you'd think that they would be at least aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it is hard to find therapists who are familiar with Down syndrome. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. you can probably attest to that. And, and, and I've had experience with that in like with medical professionals who just don't know anything and they just, 
you know, the whole diagnostic overshadowing, it's just a Down syndrome thing. You know, no, it's not always a Down syndrome thing. Right. right? And that was, that was very much the case for this was, it was kind of written off like, he's going to have a delay. It's, but I started noticing, you know, I'm in a lot of online mommy groups, mm-hmm. the, the, the moms in my, you know, birth group, their kids started talking. They started repeating words and like, why is Odin not? It's, you know, if, if they're all delayed, yeah, and I know there's varying various levels mm-hmm. of delay, but why? What's happening that this isn't for him? And so I was like, no, I'm not going to hear. This is just Down syndrome because yeah. there are other kids that that's not happening for. This is something different. So, and and how old is Odin now? He's going to be five in August. So he'll be going into kindergarten. Not yet. So the the school that we have him attending, a private school, they allow kids to attend up to age six. Okay, um, and so he is because he's an August birthday. Mm. We figured it makes more sense for us to do one more year of preschool mm-hmm. or pre pre kindergarten before having him. So he'll be the oldest kid in the class instead of the youngest, and and hopefully we can get you know our heels dug in a little bit deeper into some more communication development prior to him entering the the kindergarten classroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he has one more year left. Yeah, no, and I'm it's well, I'm glad to see that it was caught relatively early. Because I think, you know, the earlier we can get our kids the necessary therapies or help, like the greater their success, like their chances of success. So that's wonderful. Now, can children with apraxia learn to actually say words? Like it sounds like yes, or it's once that there is a diagnosis, should the goal be more to learn to communicate versus actual speech? I don't know. I feel like Oh, that's a, that's such a heavy question. I know, um, right? So f- the first answer is yes, definitely can. It's not a guarantee. Mm-hmm. Um, so the little boy that I, or not so little, the 11-year-old that I mentioned earlier, he doesn't have a lot of speech. He actually, when he speaks, he says each letter sound. So mm-hmm. he's kind of like spelling almost. Um, yeah. He doesn't push them together. He, it, like he's not capable or able yet to do that. So he does each letter sound. There's a there's an online group that I joined to learn more about apraxia, and a lot of the vast majority of the the parents in that group, their kids don't have Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of like, my kid's amazing, and they just graduated with honors, and I'm like, oh, this is not my people. Yeah, but they do go on to to speak. Right. Um, so you know, we're we're hopeful that Odin mm-hmm. will develop his words. I think it's going to take some time, much mm-hmm. more time than we thought it would. Mm-hmm. But there's always a possibility that he won't because mm-hmm. uh, I know that's a, that's an option as well. So I don't know if he will specifically, but I know having a diagnosis of proxy doesn't mean you're never going to speak. It just means it's harder. In regards to your second question, I had quite the battle this year with one of the speech therapists. She was like the, the admin level in the special ed department. Because he was doing well with his AAC device, she wanted to switch all of his services specifically to only working on that device mm-hmm. and I didn't that didn't sit right with me and I said you know I need I need to think about that and I actually consulted you know other other moms and said what are, what are your thoughts on this I don't know if I agree and they were like no why why would you just settle for one only one type especially if he's capable and we don't know his capabilities yet like why would we limit him and I thought that was exactly why my instinct was this doesn't feel right was because Someone's deciding for him at age four. Mm-hmm. No, this is going to be too hard for you. Let's not bother. Mm-hmm. And so I pushed back and I said, you know, this therapist that's working with him, 
we have another one who knows AAC world very well and can train the teachers and work during the school day. And we have this other therapist who kind of does half and half. I said, but you, you specifically have the oral motor training. Why would I tell you not? Why would I want you not to do that work with him? Like no one else is going to give it to him. Mm -hmm. You can get it from nowhere else. Mm -hmm. And so I had to push back really hard and say, I don't agree with that plan. I want her to continue doing the oral motor because he was not going to get it otherwise. And it's not fair to make that decision for him that like yeah. oh, it's too hard or he can't or we shouldn't do this. We should just focus on this other method. Oh, man. That really irritates me. Yeah. Because he's he was four. He's four, yeah. And they've already put him in this box and said, yeah, yeah, this is your path. And, and it was because it was easier for them. Like, and I was, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's because they're always choosing the easier route. And I've had that experience, you know, years ago with the school physio, you know, and it was, it's hard and like, and you have to battle and it's exhausting, you know, like, you know, just the constant advocating for our kids that most parents outside of our community never see or know about. How, like it's every day and you know here they're trying to help him but they're just really at the end of the day is what's easier often I think for them mm -hmm. not for our kids or what's best for our kids right. and you know it's just not right yeah it was I I was glad I had those conversations on the side and then came back and said no I, I know it wasn't something they were thrilled with me but it doesn't make any sense to, to if, if there was zero progress or it was hindering or har harming him in some way, mm -hmm. absolutely, I wouldn't be pushing it. And it is challenging for him. Mm -hmm. Speech, specifically the oral motor work, is the one therapy that he gets frustrated with. Mm -hmm. He will practice jumping a hundred times over. He will practice using a writing utensil or trying scissors and happily try it again, even if he's not doing it correctly. He does not get frustrated easily trying to talk frustrates him. Yeah. So I knew it was hard. And I know that was the reason why they're like, well, if that's hard for him, let's just do this other thing. But I, I'm not willing to say we're done mm -hmm. at, at such a young age. Of yeah. Care. No. Yeah. You got to give it a good, a good try. I think, and yeah. I think by age four, it's not really, I, I don't think all the effort that can be is, is been done at that point. Right. Yeah. He's too young. So, oh gosh. But Thankfully, his mama went to bat for him. So. <laughs> so is you've talked a lot about different online groups and things like that. So but if someone maybe suspects that their child might have apraxia, mm -hmm. like where can they go to? Is there like an online organization? I mean, I know it's a bit more challenging with our kids with Down syndrome, but or are there Facebook groups specifically, maybe Down syndrome and apraxia or, or special needs and apraxia? Like, where would you tell somebody if they, if someone came to you and said, you know, I think my child might have apraxia as well. Where, where can I go to get info? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing I would recommend for a parent to do is to, to look online. I have not found a group that has that overlap. Mm -hmm. uh, I am part of the DSDN and mm -hmm. they have a not yet speaking subgroup. So okay. if your child is over the age of three and they haven't developed speech, you can join that subgroup. And so that's where I get a lot of these connections. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, there's not a specific to Down syndrome and apraxia. Okay. Um, that might need to come into existence at some point. Maybe that'll be another project on my plate. I was just going to say, maybe you need to start <laughs> that. 
Um, but there's a really great website. I can send you the link, but I'll just okay. say it here. It's ASHA, A-S-H-A. It's American Speech Language Hearing Association. And when I was doing my post for Apraxia Awareness, I, I got a lot of the information from their website. They just had a lot of really great information. What to look for? What, what are the signs and the symptoms? What are some tips and tricks? What are some tools? And then, so my, my first recommendation would be to research online to kind of know what you're looking for, looking about. Mm -hmm. um, and then the next step is to talk to an SLP because either they will know and will guide you and direct you to tips and tricks and tools and, and therapies, mm -hmm. or they won't know. And then you will know, <laughs> okay, I need to find someone else. Right. And that was, we've, we've had, I want to say five different speech therapists and in, in, since Odin's been two. Wow. We've had, and part of that was moving states. So yeah. we had to start over, but we've had to change therapists several times because I needed someone who knew what they were doing. I needed someone who knew how to work with what we're working with for Odin. So that, that I think mm. gives your answer right there is, yeah, this is what we're thinking. This is what we're looking. Do you know how to work with this and what are your thoughts? And if they don't, then you can ask for someone else or, or look for someone else. Yes, that's, yeah, I think that's key. You know, like Ainsley was a really late walker. And, you know, she was, I mean, she walked for a year independent, like not independently, she would hold my hand. And then finally, our support worker got us in with, I called the amazing Brenda Horton, who in three weeks had her walking. Took me, I for, yeah, and she's swimming now. Like, I mean, because, you know, she, she knows her stuff and, yeah. you know, and she's worked with kids with all sorts of disabilities and, you know, but she also is stern and doesn't give up, you know, yeah. she, you know, and I think for a lot of our kids, we need someone who's as stubborn as them. Exactly. You know, right? Maybe from the metric, they're stubborn. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So I totally understand that. And it, you know, and it took a while to find somebody who, who could do that. And, and, you know, and same, like, you know, once we got involved with the DSRF, you know, cause they had amazing therapists there. So I totally hear you on that is you could, sometimes it's not, not always going to be the first therapist that you go to is going to be the best fit. You got to find like the best fit for your kids because it's, this is a long, it's a marathon, right? It's not a short race and uh, we, you have to build a good team. And it took a few years, like for us, you know, it's 10 now, you know, to get a good team in place who, who gets her and, you know, gets her stubbornness because yeah. that's such a huge challenge, but you know, and, and then you moved. So that's like you said, you had to start over. That's a big challenge in itself. So, you know, that's amazing. I think you, you know, you're a great advocate for your son. You've really gone, you know, to the limit to what you can do and to get him the right people. So that's, that's wonderful. And, and I really look forward to, you know, hearing more about his journey. I, and I enjoyed your post that you did during the month of May, because I learned a lot from that, you know, and, and I'm not in that apraxia world. So, but I'm thinking that you might have to start the apraxia down syndrome group. I'm yeah. sorry to put that on you. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a great idea. I, I, there's, there's something that's just been sparked in me ever mm -hmm. since starting this journey of mm -hmm. some sort of creativity, some sort of connection. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my background's in mental health. And so I've had to pause that while working with Odin to kind of give him the support he needs until he's actually like in school school. But I'm thriving on that kind of stuff. So I, it's, not a, it's not a bad thing. It's just realizing, yeah, mm -hmm. that doesn't exist. And knowing that the numbers might be as high as they are, 
Yeah. Maybe it needs to exist. Maybe we need a, a, a landing point for parents who don't know, you know, and then maybe connecting with resources of therapists around the country, you know, mm-hmm. around the world who know this, know this stuff and, and can connect these kids to the right resources and supports. That's amazing. Not, not a bad idea. <laughs> not a bad idea. You know, I really want to thank you, Stephanie, for coming on today and sharing your story and all the amazing things that you've done. And like I said at the beginning of the show, we'll put a link in the show notes so if people want to get their own little uh, picture for the characteristics of Down syndrome, because I I loved it. I had to get a decent picture of Ainsley. I remember, okay, come on, Ainsley, we need a good picture for this. <laughs> but I just, I love doing it and I got lots of good responses from it. And And you're doing amazing things for our community with your book and doing all the profile pictures and the characteristics of Down syndrome. I'm always curious what you're going to come up with next. So <laughs> stay tuned, I guess. <laughs> and yeah, we've got some stuff cooking. We'll, we'll be sharing in the next month or so a couple more things. But um, yes, there's, there's fun stuff coming. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, thanks again for coming on. It's, I've really enjoyed chatting with you today. You too. Thank you so much, Mary. This is great. I really appreciate the time and opportunity to share about all this. Oh, you're hopefully very it helps. Hopefully it helps someone out there. I'm sure it will. And you're very welcome. I really loved this episode. I really enjoyed talking to Stephanie. She has got a fire under her. You know, she has shown, you know, that you really need to advocate for your child. Because if you don't speak up, everyone thinks everything's fine or they're not going to do anything extra for you. So, You know, some of my takeaways from this episode is, you know, one of the things that I thought was really interesting that I hadn't really thought about with apraxia, because often you can't talk or you don't have any actually spoken language, is that, number one, in order to actually even get a diagnosis officially of apraxia of speech, is that you have to have some words. But as Stephanie talked about, they are still acting on the belief that Odin does actually have a proxy of speech because he shows a lot of other signs of it. Just because he doesn't have any words doesn't mean that he doesn't have the condition. I think that will come in time and, you know, that so that he can officially have that diagnosis. But it sounds like they've got all their ducks in a row and they're getting the services that he needs. And number two, which I thought was really interesting, which is obviously probably the reason why a lot of speech therapists are not familiar with a proxy of speech is that only about one or two out of a thousand kids in the typical population will have the diagnosis of childhood a proxy of speech. So it's actually quite rare, you know, it might be one page in their, you know, or one day in their studies, but that, for our kids, the prevalence of it could be as high as 17 to 40% could have a proxy of speech. This is very similar to a lot of the numbers that I have seen for autism. You know, so I think it's really important because as we talked about, a lot of the signs of apraxia and autism can overlap. And the same with a lot of the characteristics of Down syndrome and autism can also overlap. So it is so important that you find somebody who can, who really understands this, this condition and who knows how to work with it and can help advocate 
with you and for you. And number three, that as Stephanie said, not as we just, as I just mentioned, that not all SLPs, speech language pathologists are created equal, you know, nor are they all trained to work with children who have apraxia. You know, that she said that two people on her early intervention team had never even heard of it. And I was really stunned when I, when I heard that, I think, you know, I'm kind of really fortunate that we're, you know, able to go to the DSRF because it's, they specialize in Down syndrome. So I know that all the speech paths there would be familiar with apraxia or other issues that, our kids face because they have down syndrome but you know just a regular speech path may not know anything or very little about apraxia of speech so you know if the first one you're that you have is doesn't seem to really know what it is or have a lot of experience then maybe it's just you know no hard feelings but you just move on and find someone else who has that experience because our kids deserve that and our kids are worth that. And, you know, some of the number four, that some of the tips that Stephanie talked about was to look for was groping. And I had heard about that previously, that, you know, that their mouth is moving and you can see them trying so hard to find the word and they're, they're trying to locate it in their brain, but it's just, they're not able to do it correctly you know and I've often heard that often they'll pronounce a word correctly and then the next time they won't pronounce it or they're unable to say it you know so those are some little tips to just you know lock away if, if you think your child might have apraxia and number five and I think this is a really important one is you really have to find a team that's willing to try different things and to think outside to the box. You want someone who is going to go to bat for your kid, who is going to work with your kid. And, you know, maybe they need to try something a little different, but that they're open to doing that. Because I think if we have therapists who are a little bit resistant, you know, as Stephanie said, the speech path wanted to follow the typical trajectory of language, but she said he's not having success, but he has these other sounds. Can we not work with that? And, you know, the speech path was agreeable to that. So I think that is great, you know, that you can find someone who is open to that, you know, working a little bit outside the box because our kids, they're not typical, right? You know, they have Down syndrome and often they have these other additional diagnoses. So, you know what, sometimes really takes a kind of like a special team to work with our kids. And it took me a long time to get the team that Ainsley has in place. Like we went through a few speech therapists until we ended up at the DSRF and, you know, different physios and so on. So it can be challenging, but it's worth it. And number six, why would you just settle for only one type of therapy. As Stephanie said, especially if he's capable, why would you limit him? You know, we always have to remember that not to put limits on our kids because 
I hate to say it, but a lot of the world already is. So we have to find people and have them on our team who are going to be pro our kid, you know, who is not going to, who are not going to put limits on our kids who are, who really want to see our kids thrive and succeed. So, you know, and also as Stephanie mentioned is to check out ASHA, which is the American Speech Language Hearing Association. We'll put that in the show notes so that you can find more information. And also I'll put in the show notes how you can get in contact with Stephanie so you can get your own very personalized characteristics of Down syndrome. I personally love uh, what Stephanie has done for me and seeing all the other kids. And actually she's She's working on a shirt for the retreat, which I think is rather cool. So I'm excited for that. And I really look forward to actually meeting her in person at her first retreat in San Antonio, Texas. And, you know, as always, I would love to hear from you. I, I love getting your emails and, you know, have a visit to the updated t21mom.com webpage. You can leave me a message there. You can also listen there uh, through Spotify and Apple and various other platforms. And, you know, you you can subscribe to my little email list. I haven't decided yet what I'm going to do with that. Uh, Don't worry, it would always be something to do with the Down syndrome. And if you feel so inclined, you could leave me a little voicemail. I would love to hear from you and, you know, maybe I can use it on a future episode. And if you don't want it to be used on a future episode, that's okay too. I don't mind. But like I said, I would love to hear from you. Let me know what you're doing this summer. You know, what are your plans? How are your kids dealing with the change in routine? And I know for some of you, I think you're going back to school, I think in a just a couple of weeks. We've just kind of started our, our vacation and we don't go back again until Labor Day. And it would really mean a lot if you could subscribe to the podcast. And if you can give a little review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, you can give us a rating would be wonderful so that we can be more searchable for those in the Down syndrome community. And, you know, tell your friends about the T21 Mom podcast because word of mouth is a powerful thing. So keep on loving on your rocking kiddos and I'll see you next time. Bye.